Hello and welcome back to the Going Deutsch podcast. Before we go into the actual episode, we unfortunately have to start off with a conversation about what has been happening in the Middle East with regards to the Israeli-Palestine conflict. I wanted to give this its own space away from the rest of the podcast as opposed to blending it in with everything else because it is a particularly sensitive, particularly controversial topic, but one that has been brought up in German football due to two players in particular and it's something that we do have to address. As of point of recording, current estimates about the number of people who have been lost in this conflict is 1,400 in Israel and over 5,000 in Palestine. So my thoughts go out to all of those who have lost loved ones, lost friends, lost people they care about. There are obviously a lot of issues that are tied to the Israel-Palestine conflict that we're not going to be discussing on this podcast, but over 6,000 innocent civilians have died, and that is truly devastating, truly heartbreaking, not just for those who are connected to this conflict, but also to all of us watching on around the world. If you want to skip past this discussion any further and you just want to go to the beginning of the episode, then I'll leave a timestamp in the description to this podcast so you can just fast forward and get to the actual discussion of German football. But when it comes to how this conflict is affecting German football, it boils down to two players, Anwal Ghazi of Mainz and Nasser Mazraoui, of Bayern Munich who both released statements over the last week that were pro-Palestine in their nature and obviously this has drawn a lot of controversy in Germany. It should be noted that due to Germany's history, particularly with the Holocaust, anything that can be even remotely viewed as anti-Semitic tends to be viewed really sensitively and this has definitely been the case with the Israel-Palestine conflict and with these statements being critical of Israeli policy there are a lot of people in Germany who remember the country's past and view these statements through that lens. The two players play for different teams and those teams have had different responses to their posts. Mines have suspended Al-Ghazi indefinitely due to his comments. They said, quote, prior to making this decision, the club and the player had engaged in an in-depth discussion. Mines respect the fact that there are varying perspectives on the decades-long complex conflict in the Middle East. However, the club are distancing themselves from the content of the social media post in question as it does not align with the values of the club. Bayern, meanwhile, decided not to suspend Mazraoui, saying that he had, quote, credibly assured us that as a peace-loving person, he resolutely rejects terror and war, and he never meant to cause any irritation with his posts. FC Bayern condemns Hamas's attack on Israel. Furthermore, Mazraoui declares, I condemn terrorism and terrorist organisations. 
FC Bayern and Rawi strongly oppose the transfer of the Middle East conflict and its violence to Germany, which is committed to peace. Hate and violence of any kind have no place in the political culture of Germany. FC Bayern stands by Germany's Jewish community and by Israel's side. Nothing justifies the murder of children and families. Just a quick side note, regardless of what you think about the conflict, I think we can all agree that it is slightly hypocritical to say that you oppose the transfer of the Middle East conflict and its violence to Germany, and then immediately pivot to saying that you stand by Israel's side, that is bringing the conflict to Germany. So with Al-Ghazi, it is worth pointing out that he didn't just express support for Palestine. He used a particularly controversial phrase, he said, from the river to the sea, which does have very negative connotations for people who coined it, have even distanced themselves from that phrase because of these connotations about what it means for the state of Israel. So his comments were certainly more problematic than Mizrawi. And whilst Bayern have been criticised for the comments I've just read about it being wishy-washy, they did consult a lot of people on this from sort of both sides of the conflict. They contacted experts on the Quran who were talking about the statement that Mizrawi put up. He put up a particular phrase from the command which I can't find because I believe he's taken the comments down and also speaking to like the local Jewish council and speaking to a lot of people and this is what they decided to do on the basis of those conversations. So these are different cases and it is fair to treat them in different ways. A family minds couldn't get to an agreement with Al Ghazi about the nature of his comments, particularly that saying that I mentioned earlier. Meanwhile, with Mizrawi, he didn't say anything like that. He didn't apparently express any support for Hamas, and it needs to be stressed that there is a gigantic difference between supporting Palestine and supporting Hamas. Just like there is a big difference between supporting Israel's right to exist and supporting every single thing the Israeli government and the Israeli Defence Force have done during this conflict, which I'm sure most people in Europe would not do. But, like I said, this is a particularly sensitive topic in Germany due to the country's past, and it is always going to bring even more sort of contention and disagreement than it does throughout the rest of the western world but more than anything else more than these debates more than these arguments we have to remember that 6,400 people innocent civilians have lost their lives through this conflict and that is who we have to be keeping our minds with during this immensely difficult time Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Deutsch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by someone who has made Hawaii a college football powerhouse on Retro Bowl College. 
I mean, that is just a sensational game. I know we talked about it a lot on the NFL Blitz back in the day, where it was, let's face it, a bit more relevant than, say, Football Manager is. But Retro Bowl is the game I play more than any other game in the world. That is not to say that it's the best game, but it is just such an addictive, fantastic game. The people who make it do an incredibly good job with it. And I've always wanted to play a college football game, which can be hard to get in the UK, especially because EA have not made a new one in, what, eight, nine years now. And the price to ship an old version from the US is normally like 80 quid. So I'm, I'm not going to do that. So the... Release of Retro Bowl College has been absolutely fantastic for me. I've been playing that a lot. I've been really enjoying it. And I had one of the best games on Retro Bowl College that I've had on any of the Retro Bowls. Well, the two. There's only two of them. But I was 24-0 down against James Madison at the end of the first quarter. And I came back to win 44-40. It was an absolutely incredible game. Anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well and I hope this podcast finds you with good health as per usual. Remember to go to the Sports Splits website. I will leave a link in the podcast description. Recent articles include the two articles I wrote over the international break, talking about the German national team and the Dritter Liga as well. And if you're a fan of the NFL, I do weekly NFL review articles under the NFL Blitz name. Obviously, Week 7's review hasn't gone up yet, so they go up on Wednesdays. And included in this week's edition will be conversation about whether the Miami Dolphins are actually good. And if they are good, why do they keep wetting the bed whenever they take on a good side? Questions about whether the Steelers are the most uninspiring 4-2 side of all time. And a reminder that maybe it's not a good idea to let Lamar Jackson pass after he completely obliterated the Detroit Lions. I should also probably mention that the newest episode of the Thousand Hours podcast is out in the latest episode. Alex Towles and Alex Tamp Brown wrap up their journey on Football Manager 23. Meanwhile, I talk about moving clubs. Yes, I have left Lyon and have gone back to Germany. A job came open in the Bundesliga that I was interested in. I wanted to try and win the Bundesliga with the DFB Pokal, which I didn't do during my time with Tennis Borussia Berlin on Football Manager. So I've decided to go back to Germany with a club that Leeds once played against in the Champions League at the Camp Nou. That's a little bit of trivia that I bring up in the podcast. I talk about that. I talk about my first season with this club, or first half season, because I didn't get through the whole season before we recorded the episode and if you want to find out who I'm now managing from the Bundesliga in the 2034-35 season you're going to have to listen to the well newest edition of the Faust Hours podcast but the second newest because then we talked about FM24 features but if you want to hear about my Bundesliga save that's the second newest episode. How did we all enjoy the international break anyway? Aside from playing Retro Bowl College, I had a lovely time. I have to admit that I hate the England national team even more now than I used to. Obviously, I made a joke in the Hansi Flick episode about wanting to change the national team I support. Well, I hate them even more now because they played a game last Tuesday 
and it meant that Bake Off was delayed on Channel 4, and I was so looking forward to Bake Off, as I do every week. I want to see if University of York student Rowan could bounce back, but it was delayed, and I was sat there seething for 24 hours waiting for Bake Off to come on. Anyway, that's in the past. The UCI Track Champions League started this week as well, the best Champions League, as we all know, so that was very exciting and great to see Katie Archibald at the top of the Women's Endurance League. Anyway, this isn't football and we've already spent a lot of time talking about not football, so let's talk about the wonderful world of German football and let's of course start off with the Bundesliga, the best league in the world if you want to see goals, as proven this weekend by Kicker. They did a graphic of the top 10 top leagues in Europe in terms of goals per game. Syria in 10th, 2.61. The Austrian Bundesliga in 9th, 2.75. The Belgian Pro League, 2.76. Ligue 1, 2.82. 6th La Liga, 2.91. 5th the Premier League on 3, which is the first time I think the Premier League has, or the English top flight has had that since like forever. Liga Portugal, 4th, 3.04. The Eredivisie, 3rd, 3.16. The Swiss Super League in 2nd on 3.17. The only football Super League that is acceptable. Then in 1st place, practically lapping the field. So far ahead that it gets to slow down and celebrate as it approaches the line. The Bundesliga with 3.52 goals per game. You just don't get the level of goal scoring, the level of excitement in other top leagues as you get in the Bundesliga. By the way, you might be wondering how does the Swiss Bundesliga do if you add that into the mix. It has 3.12 goals per game, which would put it in fourth place. So the German game, just absolutely far better if you want to see goals, if you want excitement, if you want entertainment. And the first game that we're going to review proves that, because we're going to start off with Heidenheim against Augsburg. Yeah, I know, this is the game that proves that the Bundesliga has a lot of goals in it. Obviously, it was the first game in charge for Jess Torup, the new manager at Augsburg, previously having managed at Mitchelland, Ghent, Genk and Copenhagen and having success along the way with those clubs. Maybe not at Genk because he, he didn't last very long. But he has had success through his career. It's an interesting appointment. Oh, he also managed Esbjerg. Sorry to the many Esbjerg fans who listen to this podcast who were ready to write in and start complaining that I forgot that he managed them. He also managed Denmark at the under-20 and under-21 level. Anyway, point is, he seems like a good manager. This is a very interesting hire. But I, I think no one had this being the most interesting game of the weekend and if you did you're weird but you also would have been correct because this game was fantastic so how would Torup start as the Augsburg manager well the start of the start was not great because they were 2-0 down almost immediately within 18 minutes they had two goals conceded in two minutes as well Heidenheim were clearly at their most dangerous from corner routines and this is how they would get their opening goal. Tim Kleindienst 
converting before Jan Nicholas Bester would make it 2 0 less than a minute later. And at this point, the broadcast decided to cut to Torup, who looked like he was really regretting his decision to go to Augsburg, as many people have done, in all fairness. But after that, Augsburg were absolutely fantastic. They would get their first goal back. Just before the hour mark, Philip Teets with a full volley into the net. It did take a slight deflection before going in, but he's not going to care about that because it's his first goal for the side since joining from Darmstadt this summer. Teets would then be influential in the second goal, setting up Mads Pedersen, not the cyclist. <laughs> I wish it would have been absolutely fantastic, who would kill it with the outside of his foot into the top corner from outside the box. Easily one of the goal of the month contenders, and I'm not just saying that to remind me of it when I come to write the goal of the month article or the awards article, including the goal of the month in a couple of days' time. So that was 2 all in the 41st minute, and in the 42nd minute, it would be 3-2 Augsburg. They also had two goals in two minutes, just like Heidenheim did. Frederick Jensen with a ground cross tapped in by Ermedin Demirovic. So it was a very interesting first half, not one that we were expecting to see from this game, I think it's safe to say. Even I looked at this game and went... Really? I, I don't know if I can be bothered. But yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic game. The second half was also a fantastic back and forth affair. Lots of attacking football, but Augsburg would be the only ones to score in that half. Felix Udekai chesting in a cross for the fourth for Augsburg before Alvis Rexbergai would score from the spot following a handball. So Augsburg winning 5-2. Seven goals in this game. If you had tried to predict that before the game, I think you would have been called a complete madman. But that is what happened. Torup getting his first win in the Bundesliga. And Augsburg getting their first win on the road since the 2nd of October last year. Which must be, what, about 385 days, I think? But that was a 3-2 win against Schalke. This one also a fantastic game of football. And there were some real surprise stars in this game. Philip Tietz has not had the best start to his Augsburg career, but this game, he was absolutely sensational. And give a lot of praise to Frederick Jensen as well, because he has barely been playing recently. He's not been looking good when he has been playing, but he was arguably the star of this Augsburg side and one of the best players, if not the best player, in the Bundesliga this weekend so this is a very very promising result for Augsburg it shows that they can move in the correct direction under their new boss meanwhile for Heidenheim I think it's a understatement to say that they're not very good at defending at least on the basis of what we've seen so far this season and that shouldn't be a surprise for a newly promoted side but it is Fairly obvious when watching Heidenheim so far this season, but defending is their weakness. They've conceded 20 goals through their opening eight games, which isn't the worst in the league. Darmstadt have conceded more, as have Bochum and Mainz. But it is the biggest thing that they need to work on. It's fat and holding on to leads, because you might have noticed Heidenheim have quite the hard time of holding on to leads. They blew that 2-0 lead against Hoffenheim. They've blown this lead now against Augsburg. 
And it's definitely going to have an impact on Heidenheim's confidence because they're going to start thinking, well, no lead is safe for us. We can't lock down anything. And that is going to negatively impact their performances. Still, it has been a reasonable start to the season for Heidenheim. Of course, they're 11th in the league, so that's very good. But they do need to arrest this sort of inability to hold on to leads. It's going to affect them negatively through the season. This is all about though, this is all about Augsburg, an incredible performance from them and one that gives them a lot of confidence going through the rest of the season. They're 10th in the league at the moment as well, so they definitely have a chance to really push on and do much better this year than they have done in the last few campaigns. Moving on then to the Rhine Derby, it finished Cone 3, Borussia Mönchengladbach 1, which is not a result I was expecting to be perfectly honest. Cone took the lead in the ninth minute, they were given a penalty after handball was given against Manu Kone, notice of correct call and the penalty was scored by Florian Kynes. Cone would hit the woodwork two times in the first half, it was shocking that they weren't up by more and they had so many chances so many great opportunities you thought they were going to capitalize eventually but they didn't 1-0 was a half-time score and Cone came out in the second half and continued to attack continued to play well football we have not seen from them so far this season and it felt like they should really be running away with the game so when the second goal came of course it was for Gladbach. Of course, it was going to be for Gladbach. Jan Alvedi heading in a corner. But after that, Gladbach made mistake after mistake after mistake. The first one being Manu Kone getting sent off for a bad challenge on Dejan Lubacic. So, you know, not exactly the best game for him because he gave away the penalty in the first half and got sent off in the second half. I heard a German football pundit say, oh, you know, I thought he played quite well before that. Nuh uh. Anyway, adding more insult to more injury, keeper Moritz Nicholas would wipe out Luca Waldschmidt in the box, and the referee Dennis Eidekin would give a second penalty. Florian Kainz's shot was saved by Nicholas, though, or so we thought, because it was discerning that the keeper was off his line before kinds of shot i mean it was it, it wasn't determined it just was that and kinds would get a second chance his third penalty of the game and he would slot into the bottom corner to give cone the lead back cone would score the goal from open play finally in the 90th minute luca volschmidt with a neat finish from outside the box into the bottom corner so this was a very big win for Köln, very important win, because they have started off the season poorly. They've not won up until this point, but this is their first win of the season, and against their big rivals as well. The mood of the Rhine Energy Stadion is going to be a lot better now than it has been in the past. And everyone played really well in this game for Köln. I can't really think of anyone who had a bad performance. A lot of praise being given, obviously, to Kainz and Lubacic, but also... To lay out Pacavada, obviously, the summer signing from St. Pauli. It's nice to see him playing well for Köln in the Bundesliga. Chabot played really well in the back, as did Hubers and Lubacic as well, who, you know, did more than just get Manu Kone sent off. He, he did have a really good game. And the thing for me, even though they only scored one goal from open play, it's the attacking quality from Cone that was particularly promising in this game. The reason why 
this is such a big result for them because they didn't just scrape a 1-0 win for a penalty. They, they've showed the attacking quality that we need to see from them through the rest of the season if they are to remain in the Bundesliga. Meanwhile, for Borussia Mönchengladbach, I think the term I've settled on for them to describe how they've been so far this season is consistently inconsistent because we all thought after that win against Boken, well, this is it. Gladbach are finally back and they're going to turn the corner and they're going to rise up the table and be in a position that we expect and it just hasn't happened because, of course, they had that draw against Mines where they did play well. But in this game, the defeat to Köln, they really did not play well. They made so many sloppy mistakes, so many uncharacteristic errors. The Rheinische Post, I think, have it absolutely spot on. They said that Gladbach essentially defeated themselves. And that is definitely what it feels like from a Gladbach perspective. Obviously, that's not the view that Stefan Baumgart is going to have. And he did praise the team for their performance and has every right to praise the team for their performance as well after this game. Hopefully, for Kona is a step in the correct direction. They're now out of the bottom two places due to this match and it could give them momentum to move on with the rest of their season. Only on Berlin, nil, Stuttgart three. Stuttgart still second in the Bundesliga table. An absolutely fantastic start to the season for Sebastian Hernes and company. And Stuttgart opened for scoring in this game in the 16th minute. I think the best way to describe this goal is to just use what Union Berlin tweeted about it. Just saying 16 minutes, you know who. <laughs> and saying 1-0. Because of course, it was Sayugarassi scoring yet again. Heading in a Anthony Ruwalt cross. Never heard that name before, to be honest. Obviously, a new signing from Toulouse on loan and he has had a few decent games for Stuttgart now with this game and the game against Wolfsburg but yeah first time I've actually had to read out his name on this podcast and it did not go well just like Union Berlin did not play well through this game the other two goals for Stuttgart coming Past the 80th minute, first of all, Silas taking a ball from a loose pass and using his pace to run through on goal and score. To be honest, with this goal, my main concern from a Union Berlin perspective is Renault's goalkeeping because he sort of found himself in a no-man's land where he decided to rush out and then couldn't decide whether to go back to his goal or actually try and close down Silas because if he did then Silas would just chip him, and if he went back, then Silas would have more time to shoot and an easier target. So he just sort of stood there in no man's land, and that, that didn't help, and Silas was able to take full advantage. Union Berlin would again be sloppy in possession after that. Wu Yong Jong with a cross for Dennis Undar for getting his third goal for the club. So, obviously, with Stuttgart, there's nothing really to comment on except for the main thing, which is shortly after the goal, the first goal, Sergio Gavassi would go off with an injury. He will apparently miss the next two games for Stuttgart. So, that is really bad for them because I don't need to tell you that Sergio Gavassi has been absolutely sensational to start off the season. He has been the talisman for Stuttgart and the main reason they've been winning so many games. But I think it is worth pointing out that it is a team effort. And Undav looks like a really suitable replacement for them. And 
everyone else has been playing incredibly well. Obviously, Chris Furyk having another great game in this one. Enzo with low playing well as well. The back four really solid. That Ruolt guy. I'm sure I'll have corrected my pronunciation for future episodes, but not for this one. He was brilliant, arguably the best player in the entire match for Stuttgart, so he was great too. As mentioned, they're still second. They're on an amazing run of form, having won their last six in the league. They are the exact opposite of Union Berlin at the moment, who have lost their eighth game in a row. And as we've been saying for, well, most of those eight games, the, the big problem is that they have completely lost confidence in what makes them work they the things that have made them so good over these last few years have just completely stopped working they can't get the basics right for them and it's why they keep losing they they look absolutely dreadful in possession like i said two of the goals came from mistakes by union berlin defense and midfield and when they're not on the ball, defensively they just don't seem to be as good anymore. Like I said, Rono made quite the mistake in this game. I think, obviously, Diogo Leiter and Danilo Duki were fantastic last year. And both of them played poorly as well. Robin Kanoka not playing much better either. So, there are a lot of problems at Union Berlin that have not been fixed seemingly by this international break. Of course, this was the worst game to come back with because Stuttgart had won five games on the bounce and Union Berlin had lost seven on the bounce. So it felt like the was only going to go in one direction. But there's a lot to fix at Union Berlin. I hope as Fischer is able to fix it because having won their first two games of the season, the gap to the relegation places is starting to shrink significantly. It's down to two points now. And at the moment... I think you'd have to say that Union Berlin look like they're going to be relegated. That's how bad they're playing. That is how poor they have been. Something needs to change fast. Hoffenheim 1, Eintracht Frankfurt 3. Hoffenheim getting off to a really fast start in this game. Thanks to an Eintracht Frankfurt defensive ever. Maxi Bayer getting on to the end of a Oliver Baumann goal kick. Holding off his defender and slotting past keeper Jons Grahl. The app I was using at the beginning of the match said that Kevin Trapp was in goal and I remember seeing a zoom up of Trapp commiserating after the goal and I was like, hang on, that doesn't look like Kevin Trapp and that's because it wasn't. You know, Occam's raise of a simplest explanation is often the correct one. Yeah, it just wasn't Kevin Trapp. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, it's funny that that's how the Hoffenheim goal was scored because a few minutes later... Eintracht Frankfurt would do exactly the same to Hoffenheim to equalise. Because Jon Grohl's long ball would find Omar Mamouche, who cut past John Brooks and was able to slot past Oliver Bauman. So 11 minutes in, one all, it looked like it was going to be a really exciting back and forth affair. And it wasn't. Ansgar now for making it 2-1 for Eintracht Frankfurt in the 23rd minute before Elias Shakiri would... Finish off a fantastic bit of 1-2 passing play. So 3-1 at half-time, 3-1 at full-time as well. And to be honest, it does not take a genius to figure out why Hoffenheim lost this game. The defence were a joke. The defence were absolutely terrible, particularly John Brooks, who I don't think is the worst defender of the Bundesliga, but he made a very strong case for being so this weekend. He was 
absolutely responsible for the first goal and arguably responsible for the third as well. And when you are the experienced defender of the bunch, you've got to be commanding that back line far better than he did. It's not like the defenders alongside him were much better. Kevin Vogt started at centre-back for Hoffenheim alongside Attila Salai. And yeah, both of them were bad too. But I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Matarazzo decided to only take off Brooks at the half-time break, and that Hoffenheim's performance in the second half was significantly better. Now, Hoffenheim did have a few chances to capitalise on Frankfurt mistakes. They weren't able to, but that shouldn't take away from how good the Eintracht Frankfurt defence has been overall so far this season. How good have they been? Well, they've only been the best defence in the entire Bundesliga, with six goals conceded from their opening eight games. They are playing incredibly well back there. They had a back three to start this game of Tutor, Robin Koch and William Pascio. And they worked incredibly well together. Robin Koch this week saying that he could see himself staying at Frankfurt long term. And with the way that back three is playing, I would suggest they should keep him long term. Even though I'm a Leeds fan, I'd rather see him come back to Leeds. I mean, this, this back line is working really well at the moment. And it's clear that all line track Frankfurt need to make a push up the table is players who can score goals. And this week they had that still. They have only scored nine goals overall this season, meaning that this game counted for a third of all of their goals. So, great. And like I said, the goals came from defensive errors. So, as much as I love Omar Mamouche, and I do love Omar Mamouche, he's absolutely fantastic, but... I wouldn't say that this game proves that their attack is obviously going to be better through the rest of the season. Still an encouraging sign for Frankfurt. They're 7th in the table and look like they could go higher if they can get that attack together. Freiburg 2, Bochum 1, a game with a lot of controversy, to be honest. Not with the first goal. The first goal was absolutely fantastic. Gonzalo Paciencia introducing himself to the Bundesliga in style. He joined Bochum from Salta Vigo this summer, I believe, on a loan move. But a full volley from the very edge of the box, following a Takuma Asano long ball through to him. Absolutely fantastic from Paciencia. I hope to see a lot more like this from him. For the rest of the season though to be honest he can score goals a bit easier than that one like he don't have to be that level of goal just i hope he keeps scoring for bochum after that in the 26th minute freiburg would equalize ritsu doan heading in a vincenzo grifo cross Riemann probably should have done more about that. It was bad goalkeeping from him which is surprising because he has often been a really good keeper Right at the end of the first half, Vincenzo Grifo would turn from goalmaker into goalscorer when Freiburg were given a penalty for handball against Bernardo, which was harsh. Like, his arm wasn't in a wildly unnatural position. It was a bit out, but it wasn't, like, straight up in the air or something like that. And the ball hit him from close range, so to be honest... This is one of the situations where I wouldn't want to be a, a referee because this is quite a tough call. But I guess it's kind of understandable. But to be honest, I think I would have heard against it because, yeah, it, it seems it does seem harsh. 
That wasn't the only decision that the referee Tobias Reichel came under fire for, particularly from Bochum, of course, because Vincenzo Grifo, shortly after Freiburg's first goal, put in quite the harsh challenge on Christian Gamboa and was only shown a yellow card for it. I think it probably should have been a red because it it was it wasn't like his studs fully went into the ankle of Gamboa, but I think I would describe it as out of control, and that's why it probably should have been a red card. Boken were going ballistic about this after the game. This in particular, though, obviously other decisions they weren't fond of as well, and even the referee boss uh, Frolik, I can't remember his first name now. Even he didn't seem thrilled with the decision. Like, he he didn't want to defend him and go, yeah, no, it's a correct decision. He said, quote, As far as the assessment of fouls that affect the opponent's health is concerned, we have to return to a clear line as quickly as possible. The opponent's health must remain the overarching criterion. So, that's not exactly defending the decision of the referee. But 2-1 was the final score, unfortunately for Boken, they do have the right to complain about those two decisions, one of which I think was wrong and the other I think was harsh. But yeah, they played well at the beginning of this game, they were essentially trying to just counter, let Freiburg have possession, soak it up and then break away with, well they're really fast attackers that they have the likes of Chris Tarantwia, Jay and Takuma Asano. And that was working, you know, Freiburg, before their opening goal, really struggled to get anything going, but then Vincenzo Grifo is just so good, particularly at crosses and set pieces and penalties, and that was the difference between Boken gaining something out of this game and Boken losing this game, and of course, because he probably should have been sent off, that's going to sting twice as much for Boken fans. What's going to sting for all of us potentially is the fact that Christian Strike has hinted at the end of his time with Freiburg, saying that he views the end of his time with the club as foreseeable. Hopefully, it won't be for a while yet. Vincenzo Grifo compared Strike to Ronaldo and Messi. To be honest, I think they're quite good at different things. Like, you know, I wouldn't put Strike up front for a pivotal match and I wouldn't put Lionel Messi on the sideline for Freiburg but you know I get it I get it I get why he would want to make that claim but yeah not Christian Strike's most convincing win as Freiburg manager Wolfsburg won by Leverkusen two by Leverkusen remaining at the top of the Bundesliga table despite this not being the best game they've had so far this season. They did get off to a good start 13 minutes on the clock when they took the lead. Victor Boniface with a cross volleyed in by Jeremy Frimpong just getting over the line. And at that point you thought that Bayer Leverkusen, or I should say I thought that Bayer Leverkusen, were going to push on and have a comfortable victory. That is not what happened though. They sort of fell off the pace straight after that goal. And Wolfsburg had a lot of good chances to get an equalised. There was one really good chance, I think it was for Thiago Tomas, where Fredeki was on the floor and he had to reach up to make the save. Really impressive from the goalkeeper, but he would have his defences breached in the 41st minute, Maxence Lacroix scoring for the Wolfer. One all at the half-time break and 
They didn't start off the second half in a particularly inspiring way either, but just past the hour mark, they would get their second and the eventual winner. Alex Grimaldo shot, taking a slight deflection off Maxi Arnold to get it past the Wolfsburg keeper, Paveo Pavan. So there wasn't really much he could have done about that. And Bayer Leverkusen, again, weren't, like, amazing afterwards, but they did have a few chances to really make the game more comfortable. They didn't take them, but they didn't need to take them because they would hold on for a 2-1 win. Overall, they were probably still the better side in this game, but they have put in better performances so far this season. For Wolfsburg, there are a few positives to take out of this game. They did play well in parts against Bayer Leverkusen, obviously the best side in Germany so far this season. So I guess they can take positives from that, and they are still ninth in the league despite three losses in their last four games. Meanwhile, Bayer Leverkusen, four wins on the bounce, and like I said, still leading the way in the Bundesliga. Of course, they have also still two points clear from Bayern Munich. They won 3-1 this weekend away at Mainz. If you didn't watch this game and you just saw the result, you would probably be of the opinion that, oh, well, Bayern, you know, did a Bayern. They were the dominant side and Mainz didn't stand a chance. And I know you probably thought that because that's what I thought and I didn't watch this game. At least I didn't watch it live because the track Champions League was on and, you know, I love cycling, so I wanted to watch that instead. But this game didn't really play out like that. Bayern did score two goals in the space of five minutes to be 2-0 up in the 16th minute. Kingsley Coman first rounding off a counter-attack, then Harry Kane with a header to make it 2-0. But then mines were really good. They had a lot of great moments in this game including the goal that got them back in it in the 43rd minute Brahan Gruder setting up Anthony Kashi with a great finish into the top corner and Mines kept pushing Mines had chances but in the 59th minute Bayern would score the final goal of this game to put the game to bed a mistake, they lost the ball on the edge of the box, it was pounced on by Leon Goretzka and as Thomas Muller says, he is Leon Goretzka for a reason, he finished the game off for Bayern. But Mines played really well in this game, outside of the, the mistake for the third goal and the fact that they allowed a counter-attack quite poorly because they were piling men forward, which, you know, seems like a dangerous idea against Bayern. But that's what they decided to do. It did cost them, though, for that goal. They they made mistakes, which they probably shouldn't have done. And as well as that, they had quite a few good chances. They hit the woodwork twice. And Sven Ulreich did pull out a few really good saves to keep Mines at bay. They could have easily won or got a point out of this game. And it wouldn't have been too much of a surprise based on how the game went. So, you could say Bayern were incredibly lucky or Mines were incredibly unlucky. But there are a lot of positives for Mines to take away from this performance. Particularly the quality of Brahan Gruder, who, like I said, set up the only goal for Mines. 19 years old. He's been playing really well so far this season, but particularly in this game, he was absolutely phenomenal for Mines. Thomas Muller 
swap shirts with him and it was singing his praises, giving him advice as well. And that's going to be invaluable for Gruder. But 19 years old, he looks like he could be a real star. So hopefully, Mines can keep him for a few years because he will be a big help to that team. Like I said, though, they were lucky to not get a point against Spine. At minimum, they maybe should have won. That alone means that Mines should be able to take some positives from this, despite sitting bottom of the Bundesliga table. Before we move on, I just forgot to mention this when talking about Bayern, so I, I, I need to mention it. Bayern are having a tad bit of an injury crisis at the moment, and by tad bit, I mean lot bit. Leon Goretzka broke his hand during this game and he's going to be missing the next few matches for Bayern Munich. But as a result of this injury and many, many, many others, Bayern are now down to just 14 outfield players, which, to be honest, isn't preferable. Maybe this is why Bayern Munich are linked to every player on planet Earth because they genuinely need that many players. But yeah, obviously this is not an ideal situation for Thomas Tuchel and keeping the side at the top of the Bundesliga despite Bayern's normal advantage is something that should be commended. Yeah, not the easiest time at Bayern at the moment, it is fair to say. Borussia Dortmund won Werder Bremen nil based on points per game in the top five leagues in Europe. Borussia Dortmund have been the best side so far in 2023. Make it make sense. Make, oh my god, football, football doesn't make sense and it hurts my head because I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. They won this game though, Julian Brandt with the only goal of the game for Borussia Dortmund with a good finish past Michael Zetter in the Verde goals. And Dortmund did dominate a lot of this game, they had the lion's share of possession, overwhelmingly more shots than Verde as well, but there's still just something that isn't quite right with Dortmund at the moment in my opinion. Not Felix Matcher playing for them. That's not what I'm talking about. It's more the fact that they still don't have many games where you look at them and you go, yep, they were fantastic and I have no negative notes about them. Kind of like you do with Bayern. I mean, not this week because Bayern were lucky to win against Mines. But, you know, it, it seems rare that I... I get out of a Dortmund game and I go, yep, really good, happy with that performance from a Dortmund perspective, fantastic, move on to the next week. It's it's often times that I sit there and I go, well, yeah, they won, but X, Y, or Z. And this week, it's they were weirdly sloppy in possession, sloppy with some of their chances as well. It doesn't say a lot. It's very St. Pauli that they had 23 shots and only five on target, which isn't great. They should have been testing Zetterer a bit more than that, and if they had done that, then this would have been a convincing win, a convincing win that Dortmund have had few of so far this season. Obviously, they had the 4-2 win against Union Berlin before the international break, but to be honest, that's more because Union Berlin are self-destructing at the moment, and apart from that, how many of their results have actually been convincing? How many of their performances this year have been really, really good? Because I can name none, really. Maybe the Freiburg win, but that's it. 
So, yeah, I still want to see more from this Borussia Dortmund side. If they keep going at the rate that they are going, though, then they will do that for me. They are getting better. That's the one thing I'll say for Dortmund and for Virgin Turchic. They're definitely better now, way better than they were at the beginning of the season. Final game, then, from the Bundesliga. Darmstadt 1, Leipzig 3. Darmstadt did score in this game from the penalty spot. Campbell kicking Kemper in the box. That's just a fun thing to say, isn't it? Campbell kicking Kemper. And it was scored by Kemper as well. Darmstadt were actually really good in this game. And they probably should have scored more. I think on the balance of play they maybe deserved a point. But that would have required someone putting the ball thing in the net thing. And Oscar Wilhelmsen and Luca Pfeiffer up front. Not really the ones who were going to do it. So yeah, a disappointing defeat for Darmstadt, but Leipzig exactly what they needed after three games in all competitions without a win. Anyway, let's look at the Bundesliga table then. After eight games, Bayer Leverkusen still leading the way, four wins on the bounce, meaning they're on 22 points. Stuttgart are in second, six wins on the bounce. They're on 21 points. Then Bayern Munich and Dortmund in third and fourth, both on 20 points. At the wrong end of the table, it's now Mainz who are bottom of the league. They're only on two points from their opening eight games. Bochum, meanwhile, on four points. And Köln also on four points after picking up their first win of the season. They're in 16th place. By the way, Bochum also winless so far this season. Union Berlin just two points clear of the drop, six points in 15th place. Then Werder in 14th and Borussia Mönchengladbach in 13th both have six points. Darmstadt and Heidenheim in 12th and 11th respectively, they have seven points. Meanwhile, Augsburg, like I said earlier, big jump up the table, 10th place on eight points. My player of the weekend in the Bundesliga has to be Frederick Jansen. Considering he's not done a lot of anything at all for Augsburg over the last, well, a long time, this performance came out of the blue. Two great assists to help guide his side to victory over Heidenheim. Okay, it is now time to hop on our journey and make our way down to the Fighter Bundesliga. Starting off with Fortuna Dusseldorf against Kaiserslautern. This was the first of the Dusseldorf games this year that came under the Fortuna for All campaign, which you might remember is where Fortuna eliminate ticket prices. Everyone can get in free of charge. They make up the difference through sponsorships. This meant that there was a rocking atmosphere at the Mercuspiel Arena, though I'm sure that positive atmosphere, at least from home fans, didn't last for long because within 32 minutes, Fortuna Dusseldorf would find themselves 3-0 down against Kaiserslautern. The first goal coming in the 21st minute, Richmond Tashi's shot taking a big deflection off Jordi Device. Nothing flowing and Caston Mike could have done about that. Then Jamal Siebert turning a twice-deflected cross into his own net. The commentator on the Sport Eins broadcast called it slapstick, and I think that was the correct word to pick. And just two minutes after that, Poor Fortuna passing would mean the ball would fall to the feet of Marlon Ritter, who would run into the box and eventually get a shot past Florian Kastenmeier in the goals. He was complaining a lot after that, and I have no idea why. But 3-0 down after 32 minutes, it had been a truly abysmal start for Dusseldorf. 
and it was a start that they didn't really deserve because they'd had one error and two really unfortunate goals to put them in that position. And up until that point, the game had been fairly even. So they did not really deserve to be 3-0 down. And they would go about correcting the scoreline quite quickly. Because in the 37th minute, 5 minutes after going 3-0 down, they would get a goal back. Just as scrappy as some of the others though. Altenaka finally getting a shot in after many attempts from Dusseldorf following a free kick. So 3-1 at the half-time break. The fans had been given goals for their zero euro zero cent <laughs> ticket price but it wasn't exactly a game that was great for the home fans however four minutes into the second half Dusseldorf would get their second reducing the deficit to one Mateus Zimmerman's long-range shot taking a small deflection shouldn't really take too much off his finish Dusseldorf were easily the better side at this point. The capacity crowd willing them on every step of the way as well. And in the 57th minute, Dusseldorf would make it free all, which was not something I saw coming in the 32nd minute. But amazing passing play being rounded off by Felix Klaus. Absolutely fantastic from him. This was easily the best of the six goals so far, but it was outdone by the seventh goal, and this one was the goal that won the game for Dusseldorf somehow. An amazing finish from Altenacker, far out of the box into the bottom corner. It was a goal that was worthy to win any game, and it won this game as Dusseldorf overturned a 3-0 deficit to win This was easily the best game of the season so far. Dusseldorf mounting that comeback was absolutely sensational and they deserve a lot of credit for the fight back they showed. Like I said, when they were 3-0 down, it didn't really feel like they deserved that. It was a fairly even game up until that point. And to be honest, it was only two freak deflections that sort of had them in that position anyway. But... Still, you'd think at 3-0 down, your heads must be, well, down, funnily enough, and that it'd be hard to fight back, but that is exactly what Fortuna Dusseldorf did. Maybe the goal from Altenaka in the first half was exactly what they needed to get their heads in the right place at half-time. There were a few small tactical tweaks from Daniel Tion to start the second half, and they really did work. So, yeah, this was an absolutely fantastic game and a fantastic performance for Fortuna Dusseldorf. The weirdest part of this game was definitely when Marlon Ritter was subbed off in the 74th minute because for absolutely no reason he decided to kung fu kick his chair on the subs bench. I mean, come on, man, don't do that. But, yeah, Kaiserslautern obviously are not going to be feeling great having surrendered a 3-0 lead. To be honest, I would say they weren't the better side anyway. And that, like I said, they'll look to be in that position. To be honest, losing this game by one goal doesn't feel like an unrepresentative scoreline for them. Overall, from a Kai Slaughter perspective, I just hope this doesn't dampen the mood too much because they were third entering this weekend for a reason. They've been playing really well up until this point, as have Dusseldorf, fifth and sixth in the league now, respectively. Dusseldorf in fifth, Kai Slaughter in sixth, and both have shown through this season so far why they could be promotion contenders. 
Dusseldorf with that fight back ability showing any opponent in the future it doesn't matter how far in the clear you are Dusseldorf can find a way to come back and before we move on I do want to just suggest it's kind of funny isn't it that essentially this game was 4-3 for fans and the game finished 4-3 so you know it's a shame that they didn't call the campaign Fortuna 4-3 because then the game would have been 4-3 in the 4-3 campaign. Anyway, terrible wordplay aside, let's move on. Paderborn 2, St. Pauli 2, St. Pauli still undefeated in the league this season after 10 games, though it's safe to say that this wasn't the most inspiring game from the boys in Brown. In the 8th minute, Paderborn would take the lead. Florent Muslier from inside his own half, getting it over for Silly in the St. Pauli goal. He was standing far off his line. He was outside the box. And, yeah, Muslier saw it, went, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And found the top corner. Absolutely sensational from him. He must have been watching the new David Beckham documentary on Netflix. And decided he wanted to try the same thing Beckham did against Wimbledon. And he did pull it off. And St. Pauli, I don't want to sound like a negative St. Pauli fan. But I'm going to because, well, for this game I am. They were truly terrible in the first half. They could not get anything going. It was a really uninspiring performance. Luckily for us, that would change right at the beginning of the second half, just three minutes into the second half. Johannes Edgerstein would score, heading in a Marcel Hartel cross. He just can't stop scoring. It's his fourth goal in three games. Lads, we've found him the best striker in the world. <laughs> I mean, he has been so much better so far this season than he was last season. And hopefully he can actually be the answer at striker that we really, really, really need. And he could have had another goal in the 78th minute. He had a really good shot that hit the post. Luckily for St. Pauli, when it did hit the post, it would deflect straight into the path of Jackson Irving, who was able to slot in to make it 2-1. And St. Pauli had a lot of chances, both before that goal and after that goal, where they could have got another and really put the game to bed. Unfortunately, when the fourth and final goal of the game came, it was for the host, Philip Bilbija, scoring for them. So to all the final score, a scoreline that Paderborn are really happy with. They should be. For St. Pauli, while St. Pauli had 19 shots in this game, Paderborn had six. Paderborn had only three shots on target. May I remind you, one of them was from inside their own half. So it wasn't exactly an inspiring game going forward for Paderborn. And it feels like 9 times out of 10, St. Pauli would have won this. But again, same thing I say every week. If St. Pauli could just be a tad bit more clinical with their chances, they would have won this game. Now, I shouldn't complain too much. I know I'm sounding like I did on the NFL Blitz back in the day when the Steelers were 11-0. And I was like going, eh, I mean, they've not been that good. But... There is one big positive, and that was that Simon Zoller was able to get his first minutes in a St. Pauli shirt. Obviously, he joined from Bochum on deadline day, but he's not been able to play yet due to injury. 
So hopefully he can be that much needed spark alongside Johannes Edgestein that the attacking department need. Moving on, Karlsruhe took on Schalke this weekend. Of course, it was the first game in charge for Schalke for new manager Karel Gavet. How would that game go? Poorly. Karlsruhe 3, Schalke 0. And obviously, we talked about this a lot before. The international break, Karlsruhe haven't exactly been the most inspiring side in this fighter so far this season. Though they look like it in this game. 22 minutes for them to open the scoring. Lars Stindl with a good finish for his second goal of the season. Igor Matanovic would then have an impressive volley inside the box to make it 2-0. And in the second half, Henning Matriciani would turn a ground cross into his own goal. By the way, I just want to mention at this point, I, I found this series on YouTube, which I didn't know about, and, well, you might be in Germany and not know about it, but if you're outside of Germany, there's a good chance you, you won't know about this, but it's called Kaktor Demonats, which, obviously, Tor means goal, Demonats of the month, Kak, I think we all know what that means, but, yeah, it's sort of like the funniest goals can't remember the the uploader, but it's it's a branch of ARD, the you know main channel in Germany, and it's just them showing the funniest goals of the month, and they really go far down to find them. I mean, some of them look like park football, but yeah, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to watch. And the reason I bring it up now is that. Do you remember that goal that Vahen scored against Schalke where Matriciani cleared it off the line but he cleared it straight into the legs of Vahen, attacker and it bounced off him and, and went in? Well, that was on Cactor de Monats for September, so I thought I'd bring it up. But yeah, if you haven't seen that, that series on YouTube, I highly recommend watching it because it is very funny. But anyway... I can have a laugh about that. Schalke fans won't be laughing about this game because it was an incredibly poor performance from Schalke. They did sort of pick up towards the end of the game, but to be honest, they were terrible through the entire match. Speaking after the game, Karel Garet said, quote, I'm not actually the kind of coach who shouts at the team during the break, but I did today. I told the team that you can't win if you don't run. Numbers don't lie. I saw that live on the pitch in the first half. So, essentially, it took one half of Schalke football to break him. <laughs> which which isn't great. I think it's safe to say, obviously, Gretz was the manager of Union Sancho while last year, did a really good job with them, but this is going to be a significantly hard challenge because he was taking over a really good club in Belgium, one of the best-ran clubs in the Belgium top flight, and this, with Schalke, they are, they're, they're not that. I mean, they don't play in Belgium, but they're also not one of the best-ran clubs in rather not even in the top flight but yeah this is a very different challenge and a much harder challenge for Gavette and yeah I don't exactly MVV position he's currently in the gap to safety due to this result and others is now at five points for Schalke already and it was around this time last year when I first started to really sound the alarm about Bielefeld going they're not getting better they don't look good enough 
I don't know if I'm quite there with Schalke because maybe I have this incredibly flawed belief that a side of that size cannot get relegated to the Dritter Liga. But, you know, there have been a lot of big sides in the Dritter and Schalke could easily fall in like the rest of them at the moment. They look like they're going to. Alversberg 3, Eintracht Braunschweig 0, all aboard the Alversberg hype train non-stop to the Bundesliga. They have been absolutely sensational recently with this marking their sixth game without defeat in the Zweite Bundesliga this season. Paul Stock would open the scoring for the Alf in the 20th minute. Just before the half-time break, Paul Vanner would get a second. His shot was straight at the keeper, Ron Forben Hoffman, but deflected in by him. And then Joseph Bayamba would make it 3-0 in the 96th minute. This was a game that Alversberg absolutely deserved to win. They were the dominant side. And... Barring their poor start to the season, Alversberg have been absolutely flying and at the moment, based on this current form, they are genuine promotion contenders for a third straight promotion to the Bundesliga. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but I really, really want it to happen. Can you imagine... Bayern Munich going to Alversberg and inevitably losing 1-0. It would be unbelievable. So, yes, I really want that to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do want it to happen. Braunschweig, meanwhile, are moving in the other direction at the moment. This marking their third straight defeat. They have not won in any of their last seven games in the Spider Bundesliga, and it's probably for this reason that Eintracht Braunschweig have decided to sack manager Jons Hartl. Obviously, we don't know who the new manager is going to be, but bottom of the league, five points from ten games. This is a more than justifiable decision they've not been good to start the season they have been the worst side in the league only scored six goals in 10 games as well they need a drastic reversal of form if they are going to remain in the second tier Nuremberg 3, Hertha Berlin won a really dramatic game at the Max Morlock Stadion. Started really well by Hertha Berlin, 15 minutes on the clock, when they would take the lead Smail Prevoljak with a backheel finish. Nuremberg's defending really questionable for that goal, to say the least. Nuremberg were given a really good chance in the first half to level the scores. Jons Kastrop being brought down by Tony Leinsner in the box. It was a debatable penalty, I'm I'm not too sure about it, but to be honest, it really doesn't matter, because Chan Azun's effort was terrible, and saved by the Hertha Berlin goalkeeper, brace yourself for this, Chark Ernst. So Hertha led going into the half-time break, to be honest, if they had tried to build on that, then maybe they would have held on and won this game, but they instead decided to play defensive, they wanted to park the bus, and that was the wrong decision in the end of the 57th minute, Nuremberg would be level, Jans Kastrop's shot, taking a deflection off Flavian Flick, 
The goal originally given to Castrop on the broadcast, but it has been changed since to Florian Flick, which I think is the correct call. The big turning point in the game would come shortly after that goal. In the 68th minute, Mark Oliver Kempf would make a last-man challenge on Benjamin Goller after a bad pass, and it was a clear red card. VAR had to intervene to get that red card, but the ref agreed with VAR once he went to look at the monitor it was the correct call from both of them that was obviously an advantage to Nuremberg so they probably didn't need any more help but help they would get because Tony Leinsner would turn a goal across into his own net he was also obviously the guy who conceded that penalty in the first half so not the best game for him but Nuremberg were feeling charitable and because Hertha had helped them, they decided to help Hertha right back. Because 30 seconds after the kickoff, when Nuremberg made it 2-1, a stray pass from the keeper Christian Mathania would be pounced on by Martin Winkler and he would be wiped out by Ivan Marquez. It would have been an easy shot on goal without that, so a straight red card was the correct decision and it was now 10 on 10. There would only be one more goal through the rest of the game though and it would be a third for Nuremberg. A really unlucky deflection from a shot throwing off Ernst in the head-spelling goal. It was tapped in by Daichi Hayashi. So 3-1 the final score. Nuremberg did deserve it. Hertha, like I said, they went 1-0 up and they decided to play defensively after that and that felt like it was always going to be a mistake and it ended up being a mistake for them. If they had won this game, they'd have been on 15 points and really in the chase for promotion all of a sudden. They would have been level with Alversberg. And Alversberg are fantastic. But in all seriousness, they would have also only been four points behind Holstein Kiel in third place. So, yeah, they would have been really in the promotion race. Four wins in five. It's only three wins in five now. Meanwhile, for Nuremberg, they've been on a fairly good run themselves. That loss to St. Pauli obviously wasn't great. It's only one loss in five. So they are definitely trending in the correct direction in the top half of the Bundesliga table. And they do have every chance to build on that. And over to Magdeburg 1. Magdeburg, we've talked about this before, made a really good start to the season. But following on from that amazing 6-4 win over Hertha Berlin, they're now winless in their last five and they have plummeted out of the top half of the table. Hanover opened the scoring after just 11 minutes. Enzo Leopold's shot from outside the box looked like it was going to be easily saved by Ryman in the Magdeburg goals, but Silas Naka or Ganaka can't remember turned it away from the keeper and into the bottom corner really should go down as an own goal but to be honest I don't think Naka or Leopold really want that in the 57th minute Magdeburg would equalize through the only player who played while this game Baris Attic with an absolute screamer really worth looking this goal up but just four minutes after that, Hanover would be given a penalty for handball. It was the correct decision and the penalty was scored by Cedric Toyshare. Baris Attic, the only good Magdeburg player in this entire game, had two really good free kicks towards the end of the match, which forced two really good saves out of Ron Robertsela. But he and Hanover held on for the win. They were easily the better side through the match. Magdeburg had the majority of possession, but they did nothing with it. 
And like I've already said two times, Barry Satic was the only good player they had anywhere in this game. So yeah, Hanover did deserve to win. Staying on the heels of those in the promotion places, fourth on 18 points and just two points off top of the league, St. Pauli. Also two points off HSV, who won 2-0 against Greuther Firth. Tim Volta was fined before the game for insulting a doping instructor. Normal, very normal, of course. It was the doping instructors who got Mario Vuskovic banned for two years. I can't remember if there was any appeal or if his ban was reduced, but either way, he's still banned, and Tim Volta is still apparently not happy about it. Maybe it was something else. Maybe the doping inspector said he looked silly in the hoodie he was wearing or something. I don't know, but that, that feels less likely. It also doesn't feel likely that Jonas Meffert would be the one scoring for HSV, but he did. He opened for scoring in the 16th minute with a header, and then a much more familiar face scoring the second goal for HSV in the fourth minute of first half at a time. It was Robert Glatzel. Between those two goals, to be honest, Bakri Yatta should have been sent off for a stamp on Simon Astor. I was shocked that it wasn't given. But that wasn't the reason why Greuther Firth didn't win this game. The reason was Daniel Hoya Fernandez, who had an absolutely fantastic performance in the HSV goals. He is far too good for the Svite Bundesliga, particularly when he's playing for your team's rival. But yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. Greuther Firth arguably have a better chances for this entire game and they they did really deserve something if not for the quality of the performance from Fernandez. So incredible from him. HSV and St. Pauli now level on points at the top of the Svita League table following St. Pauli's draw and HSV's win. Osnabrück nil, Vehen to a relegation six points between two newly promoted sides. Won by Marcus Kazinski and Vehen. Hyunju Lee would open scoring for Wiesbaden in the ninth minute. A Robin Husser free kick going straight into the top corner of the 70th minute would make it 2-0. This was a game where Vehen were easily the better side. Osnabrück did have one really good chance where... They hit the woodwork, and there was one time when Mikhail Cuisans forced a good save out of Vehen keeper Florian Stritzel. But to be honest, yeah, Vehen did deserve the win. And it means that Vehen are moving away from the relegation places 12 points now. They've got four points in their last two games, and they're five points clear of Schalke. Meanwhile, for Osnabrück, six points, no win in their last three, and they're six points away. From Hansa Rostock, who have not been in good form recently, they lost 3-1 against Holstein Kiel this weekend. They did start the game off very well. Christian Kinsombi giving them the lead, a powerful hit from outside the box into the bottom corner. But Jan Fieter Arp would respond for Holstein Kiel with a good finish of his own, volleying the ball from the edge of the box with it dipping into the bottom corner. In the second half, Kiel would score two goals in the space of three minutes to seal the game. Nikolai Remberg getting the first in the 56th, Timo Becker with another in the 58th. Carl Johansson of Kiel was sent off for a second bookable offence. That was in the 82nd minute, and what was funny about this was that 
the, the referee showed him the yellow card and then had to check the number on the back of his shirt just to make sure it was the guy who had yellow carded earlier. And like, so he went yellow card. Oh, what, what number are you again? Five. Oh, yeah, I gave you a yellow card earlier. Red card, early bath for you. So, yeah, that was that was quite funny. Hulse and Kiel weren't at their best in this game. It was an uninspiring performance from them, but they're not going to care. They picked up three points and they're still third in the table. Anyway, let's have a look at this fighter bunch league table then after 10 games. St. Pauli still lead the way despite their draw against Paderborn. They're on 20 points. Just going to say it again, just in case I don't get many more chances. St. Pauli lead the way in this fighter bunch league table. They're on 20 points. That's the same number of points that HSV have in second. Holstein Kiel, meanwhile, are third on 19. And after that, Really close between the other chasers. Hanover 4th on 18 points. Dusseldorf 5th on 18 points. Kaislautern 6th on 17 points. And then Alversburg, Paderborn and Nuremberg all on 15 points. This is why the Zweiter Bundesliga is the best league in the world. And if you don't believe me, you're wrong. Anyway, at the wrong end of the table, Eintracht Braunschweig have 5 points from their opening 10 games. Osterbrook on 6 and Schalke on 7 fill out the remaining relegation places. It's then quite the jump up to Hansa Rostock, 12 points in 15th. Same number of points that Greuterfurth, Fehen, Karlsruhe and Hertha Berlin all have between 14th and 11th. Magdeburg in 10th on 13 points. Player of the weekend then in the Zweiter Bundesliga. It's at this point I've realised that I wrote down Frederick Janssen by mistake. He was the player of the weekend in the Bundesliga. I must have got my notes mixed up. But it's Altenacker of Fortuna Dusseldorf. Two good goals as he helped his side turn that fantastic game around the 3-0 deficit against Kaislautern into a 4-3 win. There can be no better player in the Spice Punch League of this weekend. Though credit goes to Daniel Hoy Fernandez for just saving all of the shots against Greutherford, Baris Attic for being the one good player for Magdeburg, and Johannes Edgerstein for being Johannes Edgerstein. So well done to all of them. Okay, time to go into the Dritter League for match day 12 of the season. Dinamo Dresden are still top of the league following a 1-0 win over Prussian Munster. They're on 28 points. Jan Wegensberg are on 25. They've won 5 on the bounce after overturning a deficit to win 2-1 against Hallescher. Meanwhile, Ulm are in 3rd place. Now open the scoring in the first minute, but Ulm would score twice in the second half to win 2-1 and open up a 4-point gap between themselves and 4th, where Borussia Dortmund Schwey now sit following a 3-1 win against Waldorf Mannheim. The sides between 4th and 14th, latter of which we'll be mentioning later on, are separated by just 4 points. That is absolutely wild. Not the top 20, which is a podcast I recommend listening to if you like the Football League, called like sort of the the middle pack between 3rd and 21st of the Championship, the seeded batch. And I feel like we've got a seeded batch in the Dritter Liga as well. 
At the wrong end of the table, Lubeck are out of the relegation places following a 3-2 win over Victoria Köln. They've been replaced in those places by Wardorf Mannheim, who we've already mentioned. The other sides in the relegation places lost this weekend. Hallescher we've already mentioned as well. But Freiburg Schwei lost 2-0 to 1860 Munich. Meanwhile, Duisburg lost to an Armenia Bielefeld side who have now won two on the bounce. 14th on 13 points, which means they're just four points behind Borussia Dortmund's five. Okay, it's now time to close out the podcast with Tospil das Wochenende und das Woche, because of course we've got European fixtures in midweek. But before we get to them, let's talk about the best games from next weekend. My Bundesliga game of the weekend. By the way, two of these were really hard to decide upon and so if i've not picked your favorite i've picked a game because i really want to watch one of the sides involved and don't really care for the overall quality apparently but with that in mind my bundesliga game of the weekend is borussia mönchengladbach against heidenheim i want to see which borussia mönchengladbach is the real borussia mönchengladbach would the real borussia mönchengladbach please stand up please stand up please stand up Obviously, the loss against Cone, really disappointing, lots of mistakes, and they're coming up against a Heidenheim side who are also looking their wounds, thinking they'd got the game won against Augsburg after those two goals in the space of one minute, only to be utterly demolished through the rest of the match. But this could be a really close, exciting game, and based on how these two sides played defensively last weekend i'm expecting lots and lots of goals obviously i also want to mention Werder Bremen against Union Berlin oh by the way it is a Saturday 3.30 kickoff if you're in the UK knock off one hour because all times on this podcast are given in central European summertime i think this is the last week i can say that yeah i think it probably is anyway yeah, Werder Bremen against Union Berlin is another game I'm interested in. Obviously, two sides who I have a soft spot for. Two sides who are not playing good football at all at the moment. you got to think something's going to give in that game. And the same applies as well for Bochum against Mainz, which is the Friday night fixture. Because both of them in the bottom two places both of them haven't won a game this season which means either it's going to be a really exciting game with both sides desperately going for the win or a nil nil draw and i'm a bit too worried about it being a nil nil draw to actually make it my game of the weekend hence why i picked gladback heidenheim instead in these fighter bundesliga i really felt like i had no option game of the weekend kaiserslautern against hsv i pick hsv far too many times as a st pauli fan but this is a game between two promotion contenders. HSV second in the league on 20 points. Kaiserslautern sixth on 17 points. And they could move up. Well, if they win 7-0 as high as second. So, awesome. But that's probably not going to happen. They could move up into third place though with a win. And they will be desperate to set the record straight following that game against Dusseldorf last weekend. Where they went 3-0 up only to lose 4-3. In the Dritter League my game of the weekend, this was another really tough call. There's no real standout games. So I'm just going to pick Armenia Bielefeld because Armenia Bielefeld. They are hosting Ingolstadt. It is a Saturday 2 o'clock kickoff. I've just realised I forgot to do the time for the HSV Kaiserslautern game. So we'll, we'll come back round to that at the end. But Armenia Bielefeld have won two in a row. The win against Waldorf Mannheim. The win against Duisburg. And they are starting to move up the table 
They're seven places behind Ingolstadt, but only two points behind them. So they could really fly up. I mean, if results really, really go their way, they could be fifth by the end of the match week. Which, again, isn't going to happen. But, like, they could really make a significant move up the table with a win against Ingolstadt. Ingolstadt themselves, like I said, seventh, 17 points. So they could move fourth with a victory over the recently relegated side. Just going back to that Kai Slouten HSV game, it is the Saturday night fixture, Saturday 8.30pm kickoff. Hopefully, it'll be just as entertaining as the Saturday night game last week. Anyway, let's go into the European fixtures, and this week, they are terrible. They are really, really bad. It's hard to honestly pick games that are even remotely good. But starting off with the Champions League... My game of the week, purely on process of elimination, is Union Berlin against Napoli, which is on Tuesday at 9 o'clock. The reason is the other games. Dortmund are taking on Saudi Arabia. Bayern are taking on the Turkish side I really don't like. And Leipzig are awful. So, yeah, none of the other games stand out. Obviously, Union Berlin need anything from this match Having lost to Braga last time out, they look like they're going to be walking out of European competition with nothing at all. And that's going to be a real shame. If they can get something against the Italian champions, Napoli, then that will at least be a memory. And we all like good memories. Anyway, my Europa League game of the week is TSC against Freiburg. That is Thursday, 6.45. Obviously, Freiburg lost last time out against West Ham. So, a win against TSC, who are from Serbia. They're from Serbia. Is vitally important if they want to ensure qualification for the latter stages of the Europa League. Finally, in the Europa Conference League, as always, completely spoilt for choice with all of one fixture. But it's Eintracht Frankfurt taking on HJK Helsinki. Obviously, Frankfurt lost last time out to PAOK. So this is also vitally important for them if they want to qualify for the latter stages of the Europa Conference League. Anyway, that's all the time we have this week on the Going Deutsch podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Next week is a sort of hectic week because not only have we got the fixtures from this weekend of the Bundesliga and obviously the European fixtures to discuss, but then there'll also be an extra podcast after the next regular episode discussing everything from round two of the DFB Pakal. So a lot to discuss in the coming weeks of this podcast. I hope that you will join me for those episodes. But for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward and until we meet again, I'll be the same. 